<laughs> we are so professional. Seventh season, episode two, Soybean Pest Podcast. I want to emphasize this is the seventh season, or like the seventh year, yeah. kind of. Yeah. And we're into our second one. Yeah. And it's only now that we've learned to mute our telephones before we well, do this. Got to turn off the air conditioning, mute all the electronic devices, and then we can podcast. It's a lot to ask. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And um, let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. It is... Um, Oh, I gotta look. It at is the... Friday the thirteenth. Oh, you said it, not me. Yeah. Mm. Oh. And unfortunately, it's raining right now. Yeah. I was hoping to be outside, getting some soybean plots in. So this is really disappointing. I'm all done with this rain. We were hoping to get our honeybee hives out next week. Yeah. And yeah, if this rain continues, it's, everything's going to be backed up. Mm-hmm. It's miserable. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but on the good news. Uh, side of things, um, there have been there's progress. Progress is being made. There's we some areas forward. that people can work. I, I noticed you have a little sheet there, and you've highlighted some things. I'm yeah. guessing that's crop progress reports from NAS. Yeah, yeah. Um, I let me guess. Let me guess. Corn. Let's see if I can do this, ladies and gentlemen. I did not look at the sheet, so I don't know the details. But I think corn is probably eighty percent done. Mm-hmm. Soybeans, 20% for the state. Uh, as of May 9th, so that's a few days ago, um, they said that 80% of corn in Iowa has been planted. Nailed it. And uh, we're about eight days ahead of the five-year average. Oh, wow. Yeah, and for soybean, we're just just under 30%, and we're five days ahead of normal. Okay. So even so, though some people have been trouble getting planted yeah. overall, maybe it's not that far behind normal. Actually, it's ahead of normal. Um, so even though I feel behind, the state is a little bit ahead. Is it just us? Is it just central Iowa that yep. keeps getting all yeah. the rain? Two plus inches, I think, this month. It's. I saw for, um, I was looking up last year and this year uh, at the beginning of the week, and we were like maybe, well, we were two inches behind where we were last year. but that included, And moisture? Yeah, but that included all of May, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Um, and it's not like we're getting exceptional amounts of rain. Um, right. Just, it seems like we're the ones getting it. I know, right where we want to plant our plots and put out our bees. <sighs> but anyway, <sighs> things are going along, though, for everybody else, for agriculture in yeah. general. So yeah, I mean, good. some people are done, and so they're just waiting for things to grow. And some people are waiting, you know, so they can get in the fields with when the soils dry out a little bit. So that's the plant progress. Mm-hmm. What about the pests? What have you heard? Yeah, um, I think we mentioned it last time, and I can't remember about some of the people having trouble terminating their cover crops. Oh, yeah. Uh, And weed weed control is hard sometimes if they are not able to get in the fields. And so um, for the first time this year, I saw pictures of what I think is black cutworm damage, injury on corn. Where at? Um, So this would be south central. South Central, so like Lucas County. Oh no! Yeah, no, they didn't identify Polk the county, County's but Polk. it was a uh, field agronomist Megan Anderson that had a couple of pictures of some cut, uh, some some pinholes from small larvae, and then Mark Johnson, who's you know south of, yeah. um, he's around the Des Moines area. He had some cut corn plants with, um, so they're a little bit larger larvae, and so you know we we talked about the predicted cut 
corn cutting date in our last podcast. And so um, that's a little bit ahead of what I would expect because I we didn't really expect the larvae to be big enough to be cutting corn until starting next week. So that's just kind of highlights the variability of black cutworm and that if you have corn that's emerged or even soybean, you know, they'll definitely feed on soybean uh, stems as well. Yeah, it's not just a corn. Yeah, pass. it can be a soybean. Pass. Yeah, so it's it's a good idea to get out there and take a look at the stands uh, in the in the seedling stage if you need to take action on that. Um, as far as other pests go, I really haven't heard of anything um, for armyworms, but I know that uh, some of the the guys over in the USDA corn genetics lab they started putting out the corn borer traps this week because they expect the adult. European corn borers to start flying. So that's uh, unlike cutworm, where they show up and uh, lay eggs and the larvae begin cutting and, and you need to do some management. Um, corn borer, you wouldn't necessarily do any management based on flight collection right now. You might later in the season. Yeah, I mean, like for black cutworm, you, you trap for the adults so that you can capture a biofix. Right. So you do that for corn borers. You want to trap for the adults. Um, and the biofix, I think we mentioned last time, is just a, f- a fancy word for a significant capture. Well, when, it's more than just significant capture. It means when you, it's the time at which you start like, what, yeah, that's monitoring. What, that's what I mean by significant yeah, capture. Yeah. That's Not, when you start marking degree right. days is when you hit that benchmark, that biofix. And so um, that helps guide your scouting efforts mm-hmm. for looking for corn borer eggs, the first generation of corn borer eggs. And so uh, talking with Dr. Tom Sappington, he said that they put out all their traps this week and in hopes of catching adults starting anytime soon. So they're tracking corn borer, mm-hmm. right? Even yeah. though a large percentage drastically reduced i mean i didn't even finish the sentence yeah uh populations are down right yeah. uh, but and that's a function of farmers using bt corn that has toxins. widespread adoption yeah, yeah. um but i'm wondering because uh, you 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 have your ear to the ground of agriculture uh, are farmers backing off on the use of bt corn for corn borers because the populations are down and you know of course it costs money to use that and corn prices are low yeah there are certain farmers who don't believe that they have enough corn borer uh, infestations or populations to warrant the cost of the Mm -hmm. above ground bt traits and so some are experimenting with the non-traded corn Mm -hmm. Uh, knowing that of course those traits they suppress or control a lot more than European corn borer. So pretty much all the above ground caterpillars, many of them are controlled or suppressed by those, those I think, five different traits. Okay. And so, you know, just because you haven't seen corn borer doesn't mean that you won't see corn earworm, western bean cutworm, um, you know, other caterpillars that can be feeding in corn. So, so there are five toxins, BT-related toxins, mm-hmm. in the above, for above ground uh, I think there's five, yep. That... Um, are floating around the corn plant, and they provide protection beyond just corn borer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but yeah, you're right. There are some people that are interested in trying it. So, you know, if you're not using the trait, that means that the alternative is you have to be prepared for an intensive scouting effort. Mm. You have to be either trapping for the adults to capture the biofix, or keep in touch with people you know, that are either working for universities or uh, USDA so that you or know. Yeah, maybe. yeah, and there's some crop consultants in, in Iowa that do a very good job of trapping. So you'd have to kind of stay connected with that so that you know when to scout mm-hmm. 
And then if you need to tree, because European corn borer is such a, a significant pest that, you know, very low densities, you could have very major real, uh, yield reductions. Yeah. And so, yeah, this, some people got burned a little bit last year. Yeah. And so my understanding from a paper that came out in Science, what, four or five years ago, uh, out of, it was published by Bill Hutchison. Hutchison who uh, was the lead author, but it, it summarized data from around the Midwest, is you get this sort of, and I'm putting up air quotes here, herd mentality, or not herd mentality, herd immunity, in that f- even farmers who don't use a BT corn get protection because... They benefited from it. But it only comes from having, you know, a, some threshold level, which we don't necessarily know, of farmers using the BT such that the population plummets. So it, it sounds like... It's not, it's not irrational to think that you could back off on the use of BT corn and still get protection, but you don't know, based on how much you know your neighbor or even you know what you're planting needs to be there in order to provide protection to the non-BT right. corn. Right. Yeah, because unlike corn rootworm, that is very host specific. Your European corn borer feeds on lots of different things. Mm-hmm. So depending on the landscape that you have around your farm, you may have low-lying populations like you talked about you just don't know um, as opposed to maybe different kinds of simple landscapes maybe you wouldn't have but bottom line is that they're highly migratory pests mm-hmm. so even if you know you didn't have them this year it doesn't mean you won't have them next year because they, they oh, overwinter yeah, in point. Iowa good and point. they they can migrate you know between yeah. counties and certainly within the state so every year summer year, a lot of year-to-year variation yeah. yeah yeah so just something to to keep in mind if, um, if you're not using BT uh, plan to put a lot of people hours into scouting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing maybe for today's episode events upcoming events yeah gigs yeah gigs uh, starting next week I have my first field days coming out oh, at, yeah? at field which is a demonstration farm kind of between Ames and Boone it's Iowa an acronym yeah field at extension and education lab yeah. Um, the early season clinic, which is an open clinic, anyone can come to that. I think the deadline is today, um, is uh, next Tuesday, February, or February, um, <laughs> whoa, uh, May 17th. And then there's a, a private clinic that they bring in new agronomists from United Suppliers on the 18th. And so, United Suppliers. I don't know. Company. Yeah, it's a company where they, they bring in, you know, they, they bring in these new employees. They're going to be agronomists for uh-huh. their company, but they may or may not have had any or hardly any experience oh, with hands-on pest yeah. management. So it's kind of a day on a, a crash course tutorial, both of those days, really, Sweet. for, like, new people. Yeah, and then I, I can't remember if we mentioned it before. I think it was maybe a couple episodes ago we talked about Pollinator Fest on the 25th of June. Back in Season 6. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so um, if you're in the Ames, Story County area or beyond, come to that. It's at Ryman Gardens on Saturday. Yeah, you can look up this on their uh, calendar. Ryman Gardens has it posted on their calendar of events. It's a Saturday. I think it's posted as starting at 10, goes to about 2. We'll have a bunch of different um, booths and some hands-on activities. Mm -hmm. We're going to do a honey tasting. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll have... I'm looking at the honey right now. Yeah, you are. (laughs) and we'll have um, yeah, so some treats for the kids. Uh, I think they'll you know have the traditional observation hive out. Yeah. Um, so it should be uh, 
hopefully we'll have a better day than we did last year when it rained yeah. early in the morning. And yes. But uh, we still had about, I think they said 2,000 people yeah. show up throughout yeah. the day. It's so a fun time. And even then, 2,000 people, that place is huge. It doesn't, doesn't look uh, swamped. You know, there's enough yeah. stuff to do. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing that they have going on this year, Independent of Pollinator Fest, is their um, Lego sculptures. They brought that back. Very popular. They have the different exhibits every year, right? Yeah. And, and I can't remember how many Lego sculptures or whatever you want to call it out there, but there's three or four that are insect-themed. Yeah. So yeah. get your picture taken. Did you taken. see the dragonfly one? You can yeah. see it from the side of the road now. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Cool. No, I haven't seen it's it. Massive. Hmm. You think that'd be a fun job? To assemble those Legos? Yeah. Isn't it like 40,000? Like how many Legos yeah. is in one of those? They're uh, huge. Structures. Part of me thinks it would be fun. Then the other part of me is like, that must be the most annoying place to work because you'd be constantly stepping on those. <laughs> I hate stepping on it. On My Legos? Hips, oh, God. There's nothing more painful. Oh, see, that's a, it's a world I don't understand. Oh. I would just be afraid that, you know, you're missing that one specialized piece. And, oh, you know, you just, yeah, you, yeah, what do you do? Yeah. You and know. my kids, they, you know, they, they, we're talking, we're in the, I don't know if we're in the hundreds of dollars of Legos because we get them from friends and family that pass them down. We have these big box of Legos, and it's just, it's all mixed up together. And it just drives my, I don't know if it's the OCD part of my head. It's like, why are, like, the Harry Potter Legos mixed in with the Star Wars Legos? (laughs) My brain would explode. Yeah. (laughs) And then lastly, um, I just want, last event is our branch meeting for the Animological Society of America. We are going to Cleveland next month. We're going to road trip with some grad students. It's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. We keep telling ourselves this. And so I was wondering, remember last year, we we (gasps) did some podcasting at, we did a couple of podcasts at at the meeting. Okay. You know what we could do? You know what would be kind of fun? Podcast on the road. Literally on the road while we're traveling. We could. Yeah. Road trip podcast. Yeah, we could do Road it. Road pod. Um, Long way there. <laughs> we'll come up. Yeah, no. Let's so start. we have to maybe identify a few people, like maybe Andy Michael. You know, if you he's going to be nuts, crazy busy because yeah. he's the program chair. But maybe we'll have to pick out a few people that want to spend you know a few minutes with us. You know, kind of fun us. to talk to is uh, this guy Scott Prasner. He's a grad student at Mary Gardner's lab. He put out what was it like fifty bumblebee hives in Cleveland looking at how the landscape in the in the Cleveland area metropolitan area affect the health of the bumblebees don't spoil don't don't say anything say, yeah, don't yeah, say yeah, anymore yeah. we'll try no, and track them down say no more All yeah right. okay so I just wanted to throw that out at you Sounds to good. see if we can yeah, maybe podcast good. from Cleveland and maybe yeah. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame I don't oh, know you know oh. anyway now I'm excited yeah now, excited. now we're excited yeah. for Cleveland we weren't before so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Bye.